Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sunday morning, and Lord, we're asking that you would meet with us. We're asking that you would bless the preaching of your word, and Lord, the special music, the hymns that we sing, we pray that we would truly worship you this morning, and Lord, that you would work in our hearts and lives that we may live for you. And children, we'll have you dismissed to the children's church. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3. And this morning we're going to move around a lot. We're uh, not going to uh, stick in one passage primarily, though we are, everything I believe will be attached to the verses we read here in Romans chapter 3. And, and let's just start in verse 1. What advantage hath then the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Now, we live in a, a strange day, though most of what we face is really not anything new. We like to think it's that way. Uh, we, uh, every generation, as they grow up, they like to look at the older generation and talk about the ignorance of their parents and all that. I, uh, uh, what was the uh, little statement there is, uh, when a child is born, mom and dad are everything. Then they go to school and they're taught mom and dad aren't everything. And by the time they get to be a teenager, mom and dad aren't very much. And, and then they go out and try to live on their own and all of a sudden start finding out that maybe mom and dad weren't quite as dumb as they thought they were. And about the time you have your own kids, all of a sudden mom and dad become about the wisest people that ever lived. How many have gone through that process? You don't have to admit it this morning, but uh, if you've lived very long, uh, you, you understand what we're talking about here. And we, we live in a world where everything is questioned. And, and uh, I'm always looking for good stories. People like stories. And I, I found one the other day. And, and I just want to relate the story itself. And, and then I want to kind of jump into this thing. It was a group of Bible college professors. And uh, one of the professors in the group was writing a book. And he had come up with the novel idea that the morality and the teachings of Jesus Christ were so beneficial to the world in which we live that they ought to be taught not necessarily connected to the person and authority of Jesus Christ. And they were sitting here having a discussion and, and one by one the different men on the board uh, said, wow, that, that is true, that is a great thought. And, and one obstinate older man said, you cannot teach the truth of Jesus Christ and separate it from the person and authority of Jesus. 
And we say, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's such a deep thought. I mean, that is elementary in a Bible-believing church. Amen? Uh, that goes without saying. And, and then the storyline went on that the confrontation between the author and his fellow professor uh, became very sharp. And finally, the older professor said, you must come to my house. I will prove everything if you'll come to my house. Guess what he had in his house? A time machine. And he said, I'm going to send you a hundred years into the future. And you will know that what you're saying is wrong. And the guy is sitting there saying, you can't travel in time. Only in the movies this happens. Uh, You can't travel in time. You can't do this while he's standing on the platform. And the next thing he knows, an 1890s Bible college professor is now in Chicago in 2002. And it goes through all of the things that uh, shock him and he can't believe it. And a little girl steals his hot dog on the bench and, and he tries to tell her that it's wrong to steal. And she just looks at him and says, who said so? And uh, that's supposed to illustrate the truth that you cannot separate the authority and person of Jesus Christ from the things that he taught. There has to be a reason why we do what we do. And I thought about that, and I puzzled over that, and I said, wow, yeah, that, that... That would really be neat if you could travel forward in time. And then all of a sudden it hit me, if you'll just allow me a little license today. We do have a time machine that allows us to look at the lives and events and what happens to people who make decisions and going on down the road. How many of you know what the time machine is? There we go. It's the Bible. It gives us a history of mankind from creation to about 100 A.D. And it was Solomon who said, there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, truly, uh, there isn't as much as we would like to think that computers and all of these things, all, all the computer does is it does things electronically the very same way we used to do things with pencil and paper. It's really not new. Just faster. That's why computers can be so frustrating at times. Because it can do so much so wrong in so little bit of time that it drives you mad. And then you realize, I'm the one that told it what to do. Because computers can only do what they're told to do. In spite of all the movies, they don't think, and and they never will. In spite of Apple augmented reality, (laughs) uh, the only augmented reality is it doesn't exist. Amen? And so we come back, and I just want to ask the question this morning. Just want you to think with me, if you would, about that silly story, the time machine. And by the way, just to finish the story, the professor did find out that it was very wrong to separate Jesus from what he taught and that the ramifications were totally and 
and, and unbelievably dangerous. And so he goes back with a grand, brand new zeal to tell people not only about morality, but about Jesus Christ. Oh, sweet story. But we don't need a time machine, do we? We have the Bible. And these verses here that we just read, if we could go back and examine, especially verses 3 and 4, we meet in a former synagogue. And many people come in and say, uh, why, 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 why don't you take down those stars of David? And of course, everyone that's here knows the question, answer to that question. You give me 50 grand and we'll pay somebody to come in and fix the windows. Until that happens... Uh, and I don't know I'd fix the windows if you gave me 50 grand anyway. we got a lot of other things to fix around here and over at Union. And uh, it's not that important. But I don't believe that we ought to deny the Jewish heritage of the building that was built and, and the sacrifice that the people who made to build this building. And I don't believe we ought to deny the Jewish heritage of this book called the Bible or the Jewish heritage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are still God's chosen people. And yet, here's what people often ask. They say, well, the Jews didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, why, why should we believe he's the Messiah? Well, wait a minute. Uh, how about a guy named Peter? Was he Jewish? Uh, Paul? Was he Jewish? Uh, were all the writers of our New Testament Jewish people? In fact, was it not the high priest, as they were plotting the crucifixion of Jesus, said that if we don't get rid of this guy, every Jewish person is going to believe on him and they're going to leave the temple and we won't have a job. He didn't say that, but it's, it's there in the original languages. It's implied uh, they were afraid that they would lose their position. In fact, that's why the Pharisees and scribes were the ones that had the sharpest arguments with Jesus because if He is, and He is, God's final authority and God's complete revelation of His love and goodness to all mankind, then who needs the scribes and the Pharisees? question kind of answers itself, doesn't it? You know, people will do anything to hold on to their self-worth. How many... I mean, we have an entire society that has been brought up on this idea that we need to believe in ourselves. Can I ask you a question? How's that working for you? Uh, we have somewhere between 12 and 18% of the population of New York City on psychiatric medication of one type or another. That's how that's working for you. Uh, we have the craziest, most insane generation arguably on record. And one of the reasons is because somebody's actually recording all these events. And why is that the case? You see, could I challenge you 
let's just ask, how can we know that this book is true and everything else is false? What does verse 4 say? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man what? Every man a liar. Let God be true, and if this, if letting God be true judges every man that has ever lived a liar, so be it. Now, I've had some people say, that's, that's outrageous. Uh, don't, don't you believe in, in, in the goodness of man? No, I don't. Read down chapter 3 here. We get to verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. We get to the end of that chapter 4, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I would like to challenge you that those who have professed godhood are the greatest and most flagrant sinners mankind has ever known. Would you like to go through the list? I think one name would suffice. How about Adolf Hitler? He believed himself to be Nostradamus' star. He believed himself to be the savior of all mankind. Of course, he would have to kill two-thirds of the people living in continent Europe to establish his kingdom, but he would be the savior You know, and people talk about the Jews and all of the, the Russians and all of the people the Nazis killed. But how about all the Germans the Nazis killed? Also, he could be God. Little g, little o, little d. He was much more of a demon, much more of a devil than ever did he assess to deity? How, how can we know that this book is right? That that statement, let God be true, but every man a liar. Halloween. How many know what Halloween was? A very special Halloween this year. Did you know that? On November 31st, 1517, Martin Luther tacked the 95 Thesis on the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, starting the Reformation. Oh, I get so sick of that. Don't don't you know that we wouldn't be free if it weren't for Martin Luther? Get a life. Martin Luther never was part of God's church, never would be part of God's church. He started his own church. He came up with 95 problems with the Catholic church. I'd say that is a pretty poor assessment of the Catholic church. I could find a whole lot more problems with that than that. How about you? Uh... The greatest of which, if you believe the Roman Catholic faith, you put your faith in the Roman Catholic system and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the problem. 
You take your faith out of this book called the Bible and put it in the sayings of men. Whom we just read are all sinful. You see, what is the statement that we so use? If you want a great plot for a mystery, what is the plot? Who can you trust? Isn't isn't that a great plot for almost every mystery that's ever been written? Who who can you... Sherlock Holmes. You can always trust Sherlock Holmes. No, you can't. He never existed. Sorry. I want to challenge you that you can trust God's words. In fact, I want to illustrate that by this simple journey through the Scriptures. Changing or altering God's Word, if I could use the word innovation, that means something new. Changing God's Word, innovation concerning God's Word always leads to harm of the innovator and those under his or her influence. Always. Do we need to turn to Genesis chapter 3 to find the first innovation of God's Word, the first changing of God's Word? Let's, let's do that this morning. Many of you are very familiar with this passage, but I, I would dare say some are not, and so we, we would like to, to do this very carefully and, and examine the Scriptures here and, and find out whether this is actually true or not. You see, We start in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. This is the first question the devil asked. We understand that it was the devil in the serpent. The serpent didn't have a voice and a soul of his own. But the devil has always questioned God's Word and God's authority. Always. Now, Eve's answer was simply, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. The serpent was wording this very carefully. God's made all these beautiful trees and you can't eat of any of them? Eve said, oh no, we can eat of the trees of the garden. God's not withholding something good. You see, the devil had a plan here. But of the tree, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, look in your Bibles. I need you to, to do this. Just go over. Mine's just one column over. Chapter 2, verse uh, 17, this is God speaking. Let's read verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. How many of you already know the innovation that Eve added to God's Word? We just went over that in discipleship. You see, she said, neither shall you touch it. Now, doesn't that make perfect sense? 
How many times his mother said, don't steal the dessert. Don't take the cookies. There's not cookie jars anymore. They come in packages. You don't make them at home hardly. But uh, don't steal the dessert. Don't even touch the cookie jar. If you never touch it, you can't. Well, how many of you have learned to take cookies out of the jar without touching the jar? But here's what Eve did. She was trying to protect God's Word. She knew it wasn't wrong to touch it, but she added that safety valve in there so that she would be very careful never to touch it, and if she never touched it, she would never eat it. Well, here's the problem. When you add to God's Word... Is it any longer God's words? No, actually it becomes yours. If you're the one that changed it or someone else's. The sad part is Adam heard this whole thing and never corrected her. And so now the devil goes on in verse 4 and he denies God's word. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. You're not going to die. Now, was the devil right? Partway. Because Adam and Eve did eat and they did live now, didn't they? Or did they? You see... When you add to God's Word, you give the devil the opportunity to add or detract from God's Word. And now the debate no longer becomes obedience to God's Word. It's which opinion are we going to accept as real? And I'll tell you, the devil always wins that debate. Because he's a better talker than you are. He he is much more subtle is the Bible's word. He is known as the deceiver. And in verse 5, the devil then begins to put his point home that his opinion is greater than the woman's. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And again, the devil was 100% correct here. The only hook was once you know evil, you can never go back to good. And so now Eve begins to accept the opinion of the devil and she looks at the tree and it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now God's withholding something from me that's good. Why would God do this? And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Surely it's more beautiful than the other trees of the garden. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Wow. A cure for foolishness. Oh, if we could put that in a needle and inject it, be the richest man in the world, wouldn't you? But what did it do? Plunged the entire human race into sin, didn't it? You see, Eve innovated in God's Word. Then it became her words against the devil's words. The devil always wins. He's always smarter than we are. He knows 
what will affect us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things are illustrated right there in that it looked good. It, it, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it was good for food. It was lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes. The lust of the eyes, it desired to make one wise. The pride of life. And she did eat and gave also unto her husband, what's those next two words, with her, and he did eat. You know, sometimes people like to blame uh, the uh, females for sin coming into the world. In fact, the Jews have a tradition that the woman must be the one that lights the first candle of the Sabbath because she's the one that brought darkness into the world. Uh, God didn't look at it that way. He judged Adam. He said, you didn't take care of your wife. And therefore, you're going to from now on. That was part of the judgment that God had. But we, we have an innovation here in Genesis chapter 3. In the earliest days of human history, we have an addition to God's Word that makes perfect sense to everyone in here. But it was the key that turned the door to sin. You see, let God be true. And every man a liar. Trust God's word. That's one of the reasons why we have you have a Bible in the pew. We have Bibles in the pews because we want you to be able to look it up. And understand and read for yourself. This isn't just something that the preacher says. It was written down long before any of us in this room were ever born. And we can trust God's Word. How many of you remember the story in Sunday school? We're going through the Old Testament just a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, we had David bringing the ark up out of the house of Obed-Edom there and... and uh, well, actually, he, he brought it out of the town where it had been from the Philistines who had taken it in battle. <coughs> and what happened when they innovated in God's Word? One of the priests who was driving the cart died. And so David had to go back and he had to read the Bible and they had to carry the ark God's way. When you innovate with God's Word, when you change the words... How about the story of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin? He is one of the names of greatest dishonor and disrepute in the Bible. His title is Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who what? Made Israel to sin. And that is repeated almost every time his name is mentioned in the Scriptures. But I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, if you would. You see, there are those that argue that the New Testament in and of itself is an innovation of the Old. And that because God innovated with the New Testament, we have the right to innovate uh, today. And I want to challenge you that any such reasoning is completely false. Look at Gen Galatians chapter 1. And... Uh, We'll start in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, 
there were problems in the Galatians church. There were false teachers in there. Which is not another, because there is no other gospel, there is no other good news, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now that statement there, let him be accursed, simply means let him be condemned to hell forever. It is the strongest statement in the scripture of condemnation upon a human soul. Accursed means separated from God forever. You see, Jesus was not an innovation. He was simply the fulfillment of every law of the Old Testament. Every sacrifice in the Jewish sacred, the tabernacle, later the temple, pointed and illustrated the work that Jesus Christ would do on the cross. And we don't have time to go through all of that today. But Paul is writing the Galatians. He said, even if we come back and we change what we preached, let us be accursed. If an angel shows up, isn't that amazing? How many people have claimed to have seen angels and been given direct revelation from God? How about a guy named Muhammad? Uh, how about a fellow named Joseph Smith, uh, the founder of the Mormon faith? All of these claim that angelic beings came and gave them revelation and, and helped them these things. You see, if we go back to the book of Revelation in the last chapter in your Bible, we're going to have a pronouncement of doom upon all that would innovate God's Word. And let's read this. Revelation chapter 22. And we'll read verses 18 and 19. Last page of your Bible. I hear the pages turning. Okay. It says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. I'll tell you what. If those verses do not make you afraid to tamper with the Word of God, you have far more problems than you could ever imagine with your understanding and your uh, relationship with God. To tamper with God's Word means to be added the plagues that are in this book. Do you realize that the book of the majority of the book of Revelation deals with the seven literal seven-year period called the tribulation. 
and somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the world's population die in that seven-year period because of the plagues and the judgments that God pours out upon this earth with a population of seven billion people. We could be looking at a death rate of five and a half billion souls in less than seven years. I want to challenge you, there's no way. There is not the capability, even with all of our great technology, to bury that many people. This world is going to be a mess, and God says He's going to add to the judgments. And if you take away from these words, He's going to take away your name out of the book of life. Now, please don't misunderstand You cannot lose your salvation. But if we understand the Bible correctly, the name of every human being that has ever lived was written in that book because it is God's will to save everyone. But when you refuse His grace, He has to blot your name out. And there at the great white throne, God will turn through those pages and He will find the space where your name was once written. And it won't be there. And that will be the judgment that will send you to the lake of fire that burneth with brimstone forever and ever. don't, Don't make a mistake. They call them, the old preachers were hellfire and brimstone preachers. I'm telling you about something far worse than hellfire. Because death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. When you want to talk about being baptized, John said Jesus is bringing two baptisms, one of the Holy Spirit and one of fire. Why do you think the Bible calls it the lake of fire? Because you're going to be baptized in it. And just like the baptism of the Holy Spirit is eternal life, the baptism of fire is eternal death, eternal separation from God. Tell you what, you don't want to mess with this book. Can I give a couple quick illustrations of people who messed with this book? If you're old enough to remember Jim Jones and the Guyana tragedy, over 900 people were either murdered or committed suicide. And those that weren't willing to commit suicide were murdered, by the way. Only God knows the death count and all that happened there. But they followed a man who had changed the Word of God. A man who had made himself out to be a Messiah, uh, a a Christ on earth. And and, uh, though he didn't necessarily have people worship him, he demanded complete Submission to His will and His words and His teaching, even to the point of assigning your entire paycheck over to the organization. And that's where He got the money to go to Guyana. And they all lived there until someone came down and investigated Him. He couldn't stand the investigation because He knew they would find things that were wrong. So He decided to kill everybody. All he did was fulfill the scriptures. How many remember David Koresh, the wacko from Waco? He and 75 of his followers 
Over 30 children were murdered, were killed that day when the FBI decided to raid the compound. And nobody knows who set the fires. And I'm not a conspiratorialist. There's enough evil to go around. Everybody is to blame. But they, those people wouldn't have been there if they hadn't followed the innovator, the Bible changer, David Koresh. You see, that's what happens. How many remember... Well, his name was Marshall Applewhite. Applewhite. He was a psychiatric patient who had amassed a following of people. And they believed that by tying a plastic bag over their head with a purple ribbon and committing suicide, that they would be transported like Star Trek to the spaceship that was in the tail of the Hale-Bob Comet. And 39 people, 38 others, along with Mr. Applewhite, committed suicide at the same time on the same day. And according to this book called the Bible, they all went to hell. That was their reward. You see... Messing with the Bible is a dangerous business. The saddest part is, most of those who mess with the Bible are so good at covering it up that only a careful study of this Word will protect you. That's what I tell every person that comes. You want protection. You want safety. You want to know that you have the truth. Hey, read this book. It's written down. What does believing the Bible mean? Well, number one, it means getting saved. If you believe the Bible, the first thing that you're going to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's not the Lord Jesus Christ and anything. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. How many churches can you go to that talk about Jesus all the time, and here's what they tell you. You come church. You do what we say. They don't say it that way. You be a part, and you partake in the, in the ceremonies of the church and you follow our doctrine and maybe someday you'll be able to go to heaven. How many of you used to attend that kind of church? It's okay. Put your hands up. Let people know that, you know, that kind of religion is the vast majority of religion that is out there. And yet this book called the Bible says, these things are written that ye may know. I am so happy to tell you people accuse me of being proud about being Baptist. I'm not proud about being Baptist. I want to be right. I want to believe this book called the Bible. And the Baptists have problems. 150 mainline divisions in the Baptist group. There are some Baptists that don't even teach the Bible anymore. That's why we're an independent Baptist church. We're not going to throw away the heritage. 
any more than we're going to throw away the Jewish heritage. Because if people don't believe, they don't disprove anything except the fact that they don't believe. Don't let someone else's disbelief send you to hell. Amen? You can't join this church. You can't be a part of this church. And we have the Union Baptist Church meeting with us today. And we're glad about that. And we're looking forward to the day when they'll have their own services. But let me tell you, you can't join the Union Baptist Church either until you get the issue of salvation settled first. Then what comes? Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 if we could. You know, I've had so many people over the years say, well, I'm just afraid of, of really believing the Bible. I might, I might become a fanatic. And it's always implied, but the very few people have enough guts to put, like you, on the end of it, talking about me. And uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is, then they, the, chapter 2, verse 41... It says, then they that gladly received his word. Does that sound like believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Hello? That, that's what it is. Gladly receiving his word. This was preached at the temple in Jerusalem. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus was God's gift to bring us salvation. Then they that gladly received his word were what? What's the next word there? Baptized. They got saved. Then they got baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow. How long would it take to baptize 3,000 people? Well, not very long. He had 12 apostles. He had lots of water. Get the job done. Amen. And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. You see, if you really believe this Bible, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to get saved. And you're going to know that you're saved, not based upon your goodness. If your salvation was based upon things you've done, how in the world could you know you're saved? But if your salvation is based on it is finished, guess what? You can know you're saved. Because Jesus does the saving. Amen? After you're saved, it's not a big deal to identify with Jesus Christ in baptism. Then you're supposed to serve through the church. You see, the church is the central point to the Bible. And sometimes Bible-believing folk play down the role of the church in reaction to all of the false teaching about the church giving salvation and taking it away and all of those things, that's not what church is for. The church is to provide a place that you can be encouraged in the Word of God and actively serve the Lord Jesus Christ with other people. It is not go me or go thee, it's go ye. That's plural. You can't serve God by yourself. You need some help. You can't live the Christian life by yourself. You need some help. That's where the church is. It's the nursery for the newborns. 
It's the toddler's gymnasium as you're learning to grow in your faith. It is the gym. It is the place for you to exercise and learn how to take that salvation that God has given you into the world in which we live. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 6? If you believe the Bible, you're going to get saved. If you believe the Bible, you're going to get baptized and join His church. If you believe the Bible, these verses ought to be true. One of the greatest promises in the Bible, and yet it's preached on so very little. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, one of the hardest things for a person to deal with in this life is a broken relationship with your mother or your father. It is the hardest emotional thing for a person to deal with growing up. Here's the way you get it fixed. Come out from among the world. Be separate. Just obey the Bible. God will be your father. You'll get to fulfill that role of son or daughter You may have missed it growing up physically in this world, but God wants to give it to you. That security that a child gets from knowing both of his parents, I'll tell you what, there's nothing more developmentally necessary for a child Well, the Jewish people in Israel tried it. They tried raising all their kids in the kibbutz or whatever they call those things in the nurseries while the parents all worked to to build the state of Israel and fight in the armies and all of the things that were necessary. And they believed that that was necessary. And, oh, it is most efficient. But they soon found out that it didn't build strong citizens and strong people. I've had people argue, I I, I work so I can give my kids the things they need. Let me tell you something. Your kids only need one thing. Mom and dad in the home. That's what they need. If you give your children that, they are far richer than anything you can buy and give them. But God says, you want to grow up right? Said you come out from them. Stop thinking like the world. You know, one of the problems is we have this purpose-driven Christianity out there, which is simply the Bible according to the world. That's why I talk about that book. It is one of the most dangerous books in print today because it takes you away. It's an innovation. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. How many of you remember little Matthew Rivera when he was born? 
That was 18 years ago, right? Yes. Almost 19 now. Little Matthew Rivera was not even two pounds. He had uh, what they call hydrocephalus. They showed, my wife and I were there trying to interpret, they showed us the MRI, the scan of his brain. It was one little thin layer of brain pressed against his cell and everything else was water. They said he will never walk. He will never talk. He is going to be developmentally handicapped. He is... He, 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 the, the, actually, what they were saying was the best thing that could happen to Matthew is he could, he could die before he gets out of the hospital. And the doctors were there and they were assessing all this thing. My wife and I were there trying to help. Uh, my wife was interpreting. We were trying to help them understand what was going on. And the doctor just looked at us and he said, I don't think they get it. Uh, they're not worried. And we looked at the doctor and said, you don't understand. We're, we're Christians. And you see, the Bible tells us not to worry, but to trust God. And little Matthew today is actually in Morris Park, helping to lead singing and uh, interpret for his parents. And he understands things very well, and you would never, ever know. You see, God... Answers prayer. You see, belief in the Bible takes you places that the world is afraid to go. What if God disappoints me? What if you disappoint God? How about that one? Why don't we be more afraid of something that we can do something about rather than trying to give instruction to a God who doesn't need it? And I didn't get one amen. Hello? Don't you agree with that? Maybe I should ask a question. How many are you guilty of instructing God? My hand goes up. We've all done it. God will not disappoint you. Because he's God. Sometimes God does things that we don't like. I mean, I think if Brother Mike and I had our way, we would have been done in April uh, of last year instead of still waiting for inspections. But I think we can trust God with the church's building. We certainly have to trust Him with the people that are going to become the members of it. Amen. You see, if I believe the Bible, let's go back to Romans chapter 3 and we'll, we'll just finish up here. You see, if you believe the Bible, this is what it looks like. Number one, you get saved. Number two, you get baptized and you start serving God through His church. Uh, Number three is you separate from the world in which we live and you start allowing God to teach you how to deal with things the Bible way rather than your way. 
and we trust in God for life decisions and we give those burdens. And Peter put it this way, casting all your cares upon Him for He careth for you. Amen? That's what it looks like. Now, what's the practical part of that? Where does this belief in the Bible lead me? Back to Romans chapter 3. In verse 4, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. How many of you like being right? How many of you will go to great extents to prove that you are right? How many of you love the look on someone else's face when they have to admit that you were right and they were wrong? Something's wrong with that, my friend. We've got to work on that. But could I challenge you today? God is always right. God is never wrong. What's faith? He that cometh to God must believe that he is. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God is. And God is good. But the Bible says that we can have justification in thy sayings. See, I can prove from this Bible stories in the Bible and I can prove from stories in history that people who have changed the words of this book have only brought pain and suffering and death to themselves and those that follow them. I could give you so many examples, I could keep you here till next Sunday. That's not the point. The point is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to believe the innovators? Or are you simply going to believe the Word of God? You see... I believe I'm fully justified in saying the words of Jesus Christ when he told the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And the first question is, what about all the other world religions? Uh, well, can we start over again? Let God be true and every man a liar. See, that thou mayest be justified. And I, you, you look, you ask, we could have people stand up and give testimonies of what Jesus has done in their life since they trusted Him as their Lord and Savior. Could we not? How many miracles could we talk about that God has done? both in the physical realm, putting us in this building, establishing our church, allowing us to give as God has allowed us to give and talk about our missions offering like uh, we have in the last week to become the pastor of an, basically an empty church building and spend all that crazy money fixing it up? Where did all that come from? Well, can we just simply say, God did it? Amen? You see, 
that thou mayest be justified. I've had people criticize our family planning on occasion. Funny. Mostly people who call themselves Christians. But I've had some of the harshest critics come back. What? You got good kids. How did you do that? Uh, I didn't. We didn't plan. My wife will tell you. Our our prayer our first year was God will be will be satisfied if you don't give us any children. We're, we're surrendering completely to you. Well, God always blesses in abundance, doesn't He? Somebody said you're going to overpopulate the world. We only had twelve. We're not going to overpopulate anything. But it was nice going to the Board of Elections when we voted and they turned the page and it was all Montoros the whole way down the page. Ah, That's pretty cool. Well, anyway. That thou mayest be justified and overcome when thou art judged. You know what? The world cannot condemn a good life. The world cannot condemn loving your brother as yourself. Doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. The world cannot condemn these things. They've tried to imitate it, but what a mess they make. Because they separate the truth of the Bible from the person of Jesus Christ and His authority... And it will not work. Cannot work. You see, you've got to have the person of Jesus living inside of you to live what's in the book called the Bible. We just went through First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read the last verse there. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many would say, Pastor, that's what I want for my life? I got a challenge for you. Believe this book. Reject the innovations. We don't need something new. We just need to get a handle on what God has already given us. Can we say amen to that nice and loud? You see... The world cannot condemn our product. They could only wish that they could imitate it, but they can't without Jesus. We need to hold on a little tighter, draw a little closer to our Savior. Just believe in God's Word. A little more. And we'll find that abundant entrance into his kingdom when he's ready to bring us home. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We're thankful that we don't need a time machine and that we don't need all of these things. We can just look in the pages of your word. We can look in the pages of history 
And every one of them proves what the Bible already says. If we are willing to accept it. Now, Lord, I pray this morning, as I cannot help but believe we have some people here that have never trusted you as their Savior. The issue of their eternity is unsettled. Lord, my prayer is that they would see that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, simply trusting the words of this book called the Bible is the answer. I pray that the Holy Spirit would help them to see and understand that in their own heart. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with this life and the burdens and the circumstance. And it always feels and looks like the devil is winning, but we know according to the Word of God, he's not. And Lord, that you would give us grace to simply obey your word. That we might be justified and that we might overcome. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation. Just that.